0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture reading comes from Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephratha, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one at peace. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jen. Just nailed that word, Iphathra, Nailed it. I told her she could have said something like Sheshevsky and no one would have known the difference. Welcome to all of you who are gathered back, like Jason said, missionaries to far lands, the bad lands of California and Tennessee. Welcome back to all of you. i um, actually going to, oh no. I'll bring a new one, you got it? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Smith, everyone, thank you very much. Oddly enough, though, I am going to brag on Oklahoma City today, kind of. Kind of. We are in an Advent sermon series called Raise Your Voice, and today I need to ask us this very important question. As we gather, to raise our voices in worship, what exactly are we hoping to do? What are we hoping to get accomplished? Thank you, sir. What are we hoping to get accomplished? And I've said this to you. This has kind of been one of the sub-themes throughout this particular sermon series. Sometimes when the people of God gather to worship, and this is really a harsh truth that we see in a couple places, especially in the prophetic books. Sometimes when the people of God get together to worship, God isn't all that jazzed by our worship. Sometimes God is not necessarily pleased when we gather and even when we sing. That's actually out there. There's some very harsh words about worship when religious people get together in the book of Amos, and I would recommend at times that you read that. (laughs) Today is another one of those books, except it's not really uh, the passage today. It's sort of the, the breadth and the theme of the entire book. We're being asked this question, what do you think happens when you gather to worship? What do you think happens when you gather as the people of God? What are you trying to do? And the prophetic voices are saying all too often when the people of God gather to worship, they are not seeking to be remade in God's image. They are seeking to remake God in their own image. I know. You thought we were headed toward Christmas. I mean, last Sunday was so fun. We had a pink candle and everything. It was just, we thought we were just headed toward carols. We thought we were headed toward the blinking lights and all of that. And now, John, you take us back to Advent. Yes. It is still Advent. We still have some captivity to deal with. We still have some darkness and some angst and some anguish to deal with. And today we're being asked this particular question. When you worship, when you worship, what are you trying to do? Another way to ask the same question would be this. In what or in whom have you put your hope, your faith, your trust In what or in whom have you really, like really, put your hope, your faith, your trust? Okay, let's talk about Oklahoma City a little bit. I love this city. Anytime I travel and I get to travel and and we're flying back, I, I love to see the lights of the city on the horizon. I love our airport. It's easy for me to navigate. I'm directionally challenged. I love everything about coming back to Oklahoma City. I love our city. I really do. And I'm not the only one. Take take a look at this.
0: Hey, you could be- This is the city that changed its destiny by staging its own transformation. Larger than life is what Oklahoma City has become, and it's the opportunity here for the taking. A stellar standard of living, and a spirit that says, go for it. The urban reinvention that began in the 1990s changed the landscape and set the stage for 2008, when the Oklahoma City Thunder flew out of the gate and took this city with it. Here's your story, let's begin. The water's fine, come on, dive in. The future's here, it's right before your eyes. The revitalization downtown sparked a resurgence across the urban core and beyond, where districts by the dozen are bringing neighborhoods back to life, as the whole city continues its outsized rise. Arriving are people and families from across the U.S. and the globe, biotech scientists, aerospace engineers, entrepreneurs, add natives whose careers are blossoming here, plus expatriates returning in droves, and you can feel the surge.
1: That video has another four minutes and they're all good. I've watched it probably five times this week because, I want to say it again, I love my city. I love my city. You have blessed me with the opportunity to take some time to go invest myself in the city. And so I've tried over the last couple of three years, really, to get involved in the gears of the city. And I'm happy to report that there are some great people, great people involved in what I would call the gears, the organization, the administration of the city. I just, I love the place. I do worry at times that we're a little bit too much like Jerusalem. Here's what I mean. Jerusalem took such great pride in being a religious city, Jerusalem took such great pride in being God's chosen city, that I think they kind of lost their passion for worship to be remade in God's own image. And there was a lot of evidence that they worship and were worshiping at the time that this passage was written, that they were worshiping in ways that left people with the impression that they were just trying to pacify God and remake God in their own image, and there was real trouble that resulted. Real trouble. I sometimes worry, and and as I get involved with with boards and and councils here in the city, this is kind of my thing. In fact, people know, by the way, people know about you, and I'm very grateful that people know about you. You are that church, by the way. And and I'm kind of the person who shows up in the room, and it's not all religious people, and sometimes, uh, in fact, rarely is it a group of religious people. I'm just sort of the pastor in the room. But I'm the guy who ends up saying quite a bit, hey, we're such a religious Christian city, we should have better measurements in some of these important societal measurements. We should do better where criminal justice is concerned. So thank you for the opportunity to be involved in that conversation. But we should do better where literacy is concerned. We should do better where crime is concerned. We should do better where poverty is concerned. And the people in the room are saying, yes, yes, we should. And the people in the room, sometimes like me, are a little bit conflicted. How can we be so religious and measure so poorly on some of these scales. What is happening when we gather to worship? Now some of you, and some of you who are visiting are like super nervous, is he about to get super political? Good news and bad news, okay? The good news is, no, not more than normal. <laughs> the bad news is, the gospel is political. The gospel has in mind the renovation of the human heart for sure, But the gospel has always, it has never not had in mind the renovation of all creation and all God's people said. So something should happen when we gather that should aid and abet God in God's passion and desire to reorganize things according to the nature and the character of God. Another great place for you to say, that wasn't as good as the first one. So when we gather here, and sometimes I'll say it, but so let me say it out loud before we gather here. We do this every week for lots of reasons. (laughs) One reason is this. I hope you and I eat so much bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given that we understand to represent the very person of Christ. I hope you and I eat so much bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given that at some point we start to think, well, I think I'm gonna become the bread that's taken... Blessed, broken, and given, and that's the point. If our taking of communion does not result in strengthened neighborhoods, we're not doing this right. If our taking of communion does not result in strengthened household, and yes, strengthened hearts and minds and imaginations, moving all of us individually toward Christ-likeness, but if as we do all of that and move toward what we're calling Christ-likeness does not result in the pushing out beyond the church boundaries, pushing out in there this image of God that that should be discernible in all of creation, then we're not doing this part correctly. They weren't doing it correctly in Jerusalem. Sometimes I worry that we're not doing it correctly in Oklahoma City. The whole theme of that particular video, which I love, by the way, I'll say it again, is larger than life. It's almost as if Oklahoma City sees something in itself worthy of ultimate hope. Hmm, that's interesting. Like, would you expect that a life-changing medical breakthrough might happen in Oklahoma City? Well, perhaps, because we have some phenomenal medical resources here. Is business booming? Yes, business is booming. We've got some work to do on education, amen? Okay, thank you, teachers. (laughs) But there are a lot of good things, a lot of good things going on. You, You almost get the impression, as you listen to people who deeply love and believe in their city, you almost get the impression that they really find their ultimate sense of hope In the city. People, that's when Jerusalem started to kind of veer off track. Jerusalem started to look around and say, wow, we deserve a video. (laughs) (laughs) Things are good. Yeah, things are good. Strong, vibrant city, great walls. Oklahoma City, you would probably more likely expect something big and life-shaping to come from Oklahoma City, more likely than, let's say, Slaughterville, Oklahoma. These are actual towns in Oklahoma. More likely Oklahoma City than Rue Bottom. True, that's actually a place. It's like a wide spot in the very southern part of the, city, of the state, but it's, there is an Oklahoma City called, or town called Rue Bottom, and there is also a moon, Oklahoma City, and there is one that's just IXL. Here's their sign. more likely to expect something big out of Oklahoma City than in non-Oklahoma where are you from (laughs) (laughs) non-Oklahoma there is a frogville named uh, frogville because um, there were frogs there that were large enough to eat small ducks and now try not to have nightmares about that tonight (laughs) There is also a Bushy Head. I don't know why it's called that. There is Cookie Town, too, because at one point it was just a store, but the store owner, yep, gave cookies away to kids whenever they would come in. So they made him sort of the godfather of the town. They call the town Cookie Town. I'm telling you, you and I probably both believe that something life-changing is more likely to emanate from Oklahoma City than one of these towns. Because we too, we too can be romanced by the big, the loud, the bright. The big, the loud, and the bright. So the entirety of the book of Micah is the prophet saying to the gathered up people of God, Have you oriented yourself too much to the big, the loud, And the bright. Because if you've oriented yourself too much to the big and the loud and the bright, you not only are going to miss that God does things in small ways sometimes, but you perhaps are going to miss all the things that could be done for those who don't fit the categories of big and loud and bright. And so the prophet was saying hard things, (laughs) to his first audience. And by the way, let me kind of put this in some sort of historical context for you. We think that Micah was a prophet that served actually for a long time, uh, served perhaps in three different kings' cabinets, let's say, And, and probably was there with a bird's eye view of the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel. So Hezekiah would have been working and speaking for God as Micah watched Israel disappear. Like, get wiped out by the Assyrians and actually disappear, carried off into exile, so thoroughly defeated that for all intents and purposes, the northern kingdom and all ten tribes ceased to exist. The people of God, defeated, ceased to exist. What is God's problem? How would God ever let such a thing happen to God's people? Micah and other prophets like Micah told them. You are worshiping the big, the loud, and the bright, and in worshiping the big, the, broad, the, the, the loud, and the bright, you are moving away from God and into oncoming traffic. In this case, it was the nation of Assyria. You, you are missing that God sometimes does what God does in small but meaningful subversive, powerful ways. You're missing that. And by the way, as you miss it, you are not being the people of God. You are not caring for the people on the margins because they don't fit your categories of big and loud and bright. And frankly, they should have known better These ancient believers should have known better. If you listen at all to our story and their story, the gathered up story of God and God's people, you know that so many different times God does the unexpected, the subversive, through the small, the quiet, the otherwise, at least according to the rest of society, the meaningless. Let me ask you a question. Where is your hope? Right? Now, we don't have time for Sunday school answers, people. So I want you to think through this, okay? Where have you placed your hope, your sense of, here's a word, security? Why, if you feel secure, why do you feel secure? Well, because we're bigger than everybody else. (laughs) That's not a great way to have or maintain security. Because we have more than everybody else. Again, not a great source of ultimate hope. <laughs> Some of you are going, why did we come here to church? We had to go to church, why here? Yeah, because this, this is in so many ways, and for me too, an uncomfortable sermon. An uncomfortable sermon. Micah preached so many uncomfortable sermons that they said back to him, can you stop? Can you stop? One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. We are, for heaven's sake, the people of God. God promised, and there is such a promise, God promised way back to David There will always be a Davidic king on the throne. Always. Someone from your family tree will always serve. So long as you stay oriented to the God who created you and shaped you and formed you, they missed that last part. They heard the first part. They missed the last part. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. Is this a good place for me to drop in that it matters how we live as the people of God? For a couple of reasons. One, when we live as the people of God, and you've heard me use this language before, is we, when we live as a resurrection community that tries to put skin and flesh on the victory of love, right, right? When we live that way, things change. That's a great reason to be the people of God, resurrection community. Here's another great reason to be the people of God. When we aren't, it frustrates God. And it's not that God's gonna come smack us around. It's that we too, like the ancient Israelites and the people of Judah, have the capacity to wander away from the hands that formed us, even, even those of us who claim to be religious. And sometimes, the way we go about religion is one of the ways that we walk away from God. Hear that again. Sometimes, the terrible ways we do religion is one of the ways that we walk away from God. Again, let me say, if you are religious in the hopes of keeping God at bay, if you are religious in the hopes of getting God to bless, your definitions of success and blessing If you are Christian in the hopes of finally remaking God in your own image, you're walking away from God, not toward God. And when you walk away from God, God, bless my decisions, please. And bless my candidates. And bless my candidates' decisions. And I'll have communion just to kind of give you that extra oomph, God. When you worship in the hopes of remaking God in your image, you are not worshiping God, you are worshiping yourself. (sighs) And as Dr. Green has been saying to us for years now, because we both believe in eternity, you should know this. In eternity, you get what you've always wanted. And if in your patterns of worship, you demonstrate that what you really want is what you want, then in eternity, that's what you get, but that's all you get you, but, but if you worship and are remade in the image of this God, then in the here and the hereafter, that's what you get, but these people, we're not doing that, therefore, because of you, Zion or Jerusalem shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. Amen. Wow. It gets worse. It gets pretty personal, actually. It says, okay, now you are walled around with a wall, so the attackers are coming now for the southern kingdom. A siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the ruler of Israel upon the cheek. So now, these enemy armies, now these enemy armies are humiliating Israel's king. And so the prophet starts to write, as so many of the prophets do, man, we need a better king. (laughs) Except, important word choice here, Micah does not say king. He says ruler. Let me explain briefly why that's important. There was a time in Israel's history when Israel looked around and they said, wow, all these other nations have kings and they have armies. We are being led by these holy people and we all have to kind of do our part and do our share. And we're all kind of farmers. We're all kind of army people. It would be nice, God. And so they go to Samuel, who was their leader at the time. It'd be nice, Samuel, would you say something to God about us having a king? Samuel actually goes to God and says, hey, all right, it's happened. The people look around, they say they want a king. God said to Samuel, go back and tell him, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't really want a king. Stuff gets hard if you have a king. You don't want a king. Samuel goes back to the people and says, okay, I talked with God. God said, you think you want a king? You don't want a king. Stuff gets really difficult, you don't, you don't want a king. The people said, you'll not be surprised by this, Oh, no, we want a king. Samuel tried to say to them, listen, the way things are right now, God is your ruler. If you do this other thing, something will happen in the future that will result in a king being your ruler and not God. Then people said, okay. And so they had a king. And things deteriorated just like Samuel and God had warned And so now, what Micah writes here is that we need another ruler, but he doesn't use the word king. In fact, this particular ruler, rather than having terms that are political and even monarchial, let's say, (laughs) the terms used to describe this future ruler are pastoral, like a shepherd. but you but you o bethlehem of ephrathah you are small and from you shall come forth for me one who is to shepherd in israel one whose origin is from old from ancient days Verse 3, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. I mean, Micah is dreaming out loud that someday all of those people who were wiped out and distributed across of all these lands in the exile, someday God will return all these people back to the homeland. God will have this great homecoming. But it won't happen because we have a great warrior king. It will happen because we have a shepherd who listens to God. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall live secure. It's an important word. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And how about this? And he shall be the one of peace. Man. Now, when Micah wrote this, he wasn't talking about Jesus. This is not a predictive text, wasn't talking about Jesus. What Micah was doing and the other prophets in this same era, what they were doing were aching out loud saying bad leadership results in a bad life for the people of God. Bad kings make for a bad church, let's say. They were aching out loud that at some point God would send a different kind of leader, a different kind of ruler. And we're not sure, we're not sure exactly who is being spoken of here. Maybe Micah has in mind a particular person, not sure about that. Now, what we have done is this. After watching the Assyrian Empire completely rout the northern kingdom. And after watching the Babylonians route the southern kingdom, for many of the same reasons, the people of God weren't being the people of God and they wandered into oncoming traffic. This time it was the Babylonian kingdom. You do have prophets writing the exact same things, aching out loud. Will there someday be a leader? Will there someday be a leader that can rescue us from our addiction to the big the bright and the loud. Will there someday be a leader who can help us to see that our hope and our sense of security, our future is not bound up in having more muscles or dollars or bullets? Will there someday be a leader who will show us a better way to be alive? Someday will there be such a leader? And the church has learned to read these passages with an eye now toward this very different kind of leader. (laughs) We sang a song I want to return to. This is Phillips Brooks, who wrote all the way back in 1865 Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And here's the thing. He was in Jerusalem and then went by horse, the six miles, actually, to Bethlehem. And when he got there, he noticed the dramatic difference between the sort of the ethos, let's say, of Jerusalem and the ethos of this little town in Bethlehem. Said he had to have ridden right through the different fields where these Shepherds must have been. Had to have ridden and and taken the same track to this little town of Bethlehem and seems to have been stunned at the dramatic difference between this little town of Bethlehem and the enormity of Jerusalem and seems to have figured out, as he writes this song, that salvation sometimes comes in the most distressing disguises while we are all oriented or have a tendency to be at least to the big and the loud and the bright as it turns out this particular night salvation came in a very small unusual package here's the question I have for you for me for us as the church are we still oriented to the God who whispers are we still oriented to the God who brings salvation in unusual sorts of ways or are we like these people in ancient Jerusalem or are we too even as we live in a very religious city are we romanced And maybe even intoxicated by the big and the loud and the bright. As your pastor, here's here's what I'm aching for for my household and yours. That your days would in fact be merry and bright. I, I do want you to enjoy gift giving and gift receiving. I do want you to enjoy the brightness of the season, but I do hope at some point you are able to get a good look at a nativity scene. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And folks, that's a very unusual way to go about being God. God. It's a very unusual way to go about stepping into human history so as to salvage and rescue a people. Are you willing? Are you willing during this season that is so often big and loud and bright? Are you willing for salvation to come to you in small and perhaps odd ways? Are you willing for God to move in ways that you would not expect? Are you willing for God to undermine, undermine your sense of security if your sense of ultimate hope is in the big and the broad and the loud and the bright? I hope at some point you will read Mary's song, the Magnificat, and hear that Mary seems to understand. Listen to this. and live in anticipation of the coming of this particular king, who I'm telling you has the capacity to come in small and surprising ways. We need to worship well. Have you worshiped well? Are you willing for God to be subversive and to undermine what may be functioning in your, in my, in our collected mind and heart, what may be functioning as an idol? Are you willing to be returned to the scene of the nativity to see how it is that God can come in small and maybe odd ways? Oklahoma City, love this place. Love this place. I'm not sure it's larger than life though. I love it. God help me not to worship it. Love the state, love the country, love it. Help me not to worship it. In fact, God, in fact, so romance me <clears throat> by the small ways that you come. Rescue me from my addiction to the big and the proud and the br- the big and the loud and the bright. Rescue me from those things so that I can be returned to the same society as a servant and a carrier of the light. Let's take another step that direction. If you are coming to help us set this table, come now. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, and as we've already said today, may these elements move and strengthen us down the road toward Christ-likeness. Yes, as individual believers, but also as a gathered-up body, as the people of God. May we, in the process of taking this, these elements, these tangible elements, into our systems, may we, in the process, be weaned away from a preoccupation with the big, Bright and the loud, and may we be sensitized to all the different ways that you would come in small and perhaps even odd ways. Strengthen us, God, that we might have the courage and the capacity to allow you to undermine our senses of security. If we do not find our hope and our security in you, help us, God to be led by you, first and foremost, to be defined by you, first and foremost. May we be Christians who go to work and Christians who play important roles in our families. May we be Christians first before we are anything else. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet to exit your pew to the left. And to come forward with your hands cupped to receive this piece of bread. Now when you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will snap off a piece and press it into your hands and say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, but take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Broken body, shed blood. These are odd symbols for us, right? At least odd according to the way that the rest of society would define leadership and strength. But here we are again, trying to be reworked and reorganized according to Christ and kingdom. Once you take and eat, Then if you would, find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and someone will come and pray that prayer. Whether you need physical, mental, emotional, relational, maybe familial healing, we will pray any of those prayers for you there at that altar. Or perhaps you wanna come to some of these, to one of these kneeling benches up here up front. If you do, we won't assume a thing, but at some point, somebody will be by and touch you on the back, the head, the neck, just to let you know that you're not alone. There is also a bowl of water here, right now, very still water. It's for all of you who would like to be reminded of the moment of your baptism when you were in the most official sort of way, welcomed and included and initiated into the movement of God, the people of God, people with a purpose and a mission. If you need to be reminded of that moment, then just come and dip your fingers here and may the chill of the water remind you of the moment of your inclusion. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. And one last thing, you may be asking who is welcome, who is eligible to come to this table? Great news. If you know that you're in need of grace, you are welcome at this table. All who are aware of their need of grace are welcome at this table. does not matter what you did this morning, this week, this month, this year. If you know that you need grace, this is the right place for you. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, remember me. And later on, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, And this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, blood shed for you. And every time you drink of it, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. All who want to participate, none are compelled to participate, but all who want to participate are invited. These are the gifts of God for the people of God